0: Minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Oh, my goodness.
1: Five, four, three, two, one.
0: From inside the warehouse at Oriole Park at Camden Yards, it is the Masson All-Access Podcast. Paul Mancano and Brendan Mortensen here with you. Brendan, another scorcher out today. Fortunately, it wasn't that hot last night for another softball game. That's right, softball update. Gotta have a... That's what the people have been waiting for. We need a stinger for that. Yeah. We need... You know, some kind of news update for a right. softball update. Uh, Our team, once again, taking things just way too seriously last night. Incredibly. We won by one run, and at one point they said, can we not embarrass ourselves? Because, God forbid, we only win by one run. Yeah. We should be blowing these teams out. It shouldn't be a competition. They should be embarrassed to have ever stepped foot on the softball field with us. I think that's how our teammates view it, certainly. Right. I respect our opponent. You have to respect your opponent to beat your opponent, and I don't think that that respect... Goes both ways. I'll say that. Yeah, it is a look. It's a lot to bring to a rec softball game. If we're being totally honest, it's too honest. much. It, it, some might say that. It's uh, some might say that. I, you know, I always say we're paying for the league. They're not paying us to play. Right. So you know, I don't think our skills are valued that highly.
1: No, because I would they hope should. Not. They
0: shouldn't be. No. So maybe just uh, you know lighten up a little bit. Yeah. Let's hope that uh, nobody's listening that's on our team or <laughs> we, we let's say hope that this they are
1: time with just the assumption that nobody who has ever played softball with us will
0: ever listen to one of these podcasts and
1: which we, is a fair assumption it I is think.
0: but let's hope that they are actually listening and maybe they get the the hint or they are actually listening
1: and have now decided to kick us off the softball team That'd which be okay' is, I'm, has a tradition of
0: excellence look during a season we have to cover a lot of games. We don't get to go to every softball game. Yeah. I'm going to miss another game next week, which means I will have played one game of our first four. I'm the Jacoby Ellsbury of this team. I'm just never showing up. And John on Facebook immediately commenting, really don't care about your the softball, softball team. Games. All right, let's get to the Orioles, Brendan. <laughs> uh, boy, we have a lot to talk about uh, on this podcast. Uh, there's so much exciting stuff happening at the major league level right now. The Orioles won again last night, 7-4 to win. Over the Blue Jays, which is critical considering where the Orioles and Blue Jays are in the AL wildcard standings. Big time win in the first game of that series. And the Orioles are five games over 500. It's all very exciting and good. We're going to focus mostly on the minors in this podcast. And the reason for that, Brendan, is there are so many guys right now that are knocking on the door. And the question is, where do you fit these guys onto a team that is currently in the midst of a playoff race right now? Yeah, I think the conversation in particular
1: kind of pertains to the bottom of the current Orioles lineup, because when you are looking at the major league product, it is solid. And yet there is still room for improvement at certain positions, certain positions that could be filled by some top prospects that are playing really well at AAA. So when you're looking at the Orioles, it's incredibly exciting that they are in this spot, and looking at the prospects just leads to an obvious question of how much
0: better they could possibly be if they called some of these guys up. And we haven't even had time to talk yet about Michael Elias's post trade deadline press conference, in which he used some pretty exciting terminology, yeah. saying it's lift off from here that we are going to be signing some free agents in the offseason, and we're very excited about it, expressing extra confidence in this current team and their ability to potentially make a stretched run for the playoffs. And that was an exciting and invigorating press conference, I think because of the fact that the Orioles did sell at the deadline and they did get rid of two of their more productive players this season in Trey Mancini and Jorge Lopez. But Michael Elias reiterated that he has to have the long-term view. He has to have the longest view in the room when he is the GM of this multi-year rebuild. So he still is hopeful that this team will make the playoffs. But like we reiterated on the podcast last week, Brendan, this team is building for 2023 and beyond. And I think that that's a tie-in for our conversation today because how early do you start on getting a look at these guys? If you are building for 2023 and beyond, do you have to see these guys in 2022? or can you just for some of these top prospects hope that they make the opening day roster in 2023 and then it, they hit the ground running and it's left off from there or do they are you do you want to say let's get their feet wet at the major league level now so that they have a full big league offseason to prepare and then they come into 2023 hungry and ready to play against big league competition
1: yeah and i think
0: kind of the general point there is that the
1: playoffs don't really matter to Mike Elias this year. I mean, which is is not to say that Mike Elias doesn't want to make the playoffs and isn't going to make some short-term moves like a Brett Phillips move that is probably only going to be for the rest of this season, we're assuming. It's not to say that he doesn't want this team to make the playoffs, but when we're talking about prospects like a Gunnar Henderson, the question I don't think is really, oh, let's see if Gunnar Henderson and calling him up this year will help us make a playoff push, Michael Elias will call up Gunnar Henderson if he believes it's the best thing for his long-term development. Right. He's not going to call up Gunnar Henderson in an attempt to make the playoffs this year, but if that's the
0: best thing for Henderson's development, then he'll do it. Well, and I, I think the playoffs matter to Michael Elias this year. Like, I think he wants this team to make the playoffs this year, and I think he's trying to do things to help this team make the playoffs this year. I think you can also look at it this way and say, you should expect no production from a rookie who is just getting called up. I mean, I think that that's one of the biggest pitfalls that teams make in the rebuilding process or in the team building process, period, is if it's a team that is contending, they often assume that a rookie is going to seize a role and start producing above average value for that team. You just can't assume that. I mean, you saw what Adley Rutschman did in his first month in the big leagues, and he struggled. He was not giving you quality production because he's a rookie. You just can't assume that. So I think even if you do call up a Gunnar Henderson or a D.L. Hall or a Jordan Westberg or a Kyle Stowers, you have to assume that they're not going to be an upgrade over the average major league player. Wins above replacement, they're giving you below replacement value Odds are some rookies like Ryan Mountcastle did in 2020 in the 30 games he got then came up and hit 333 and looked outstanding. That is far from the norm. So to say we're going to bring up this rookie who's 21 years old or Kyle Stowers who's 24 to help us with the stretch run, you just can't assume he's going to be better than the guys you already have. Yeah, and going back to the point I made before, it's like a, it's not like Michael Elias doesn't
1: care about the playoffs at all. My right. point there is just that the development of these young guys is going to supersede anything that has to do with the playoffs right, this year. Right, right. If Gunnar Henderson's development is leading towards him getting a, a call-up at the end of this year and getting his feet wet a little bit so that he's ready for opening day next season, and if Michael Is thinks that's the best play, he will make that move
0: regardless of whether or not it is a playoff push move. Right. Uh, you mentioned the Brett Phillips move. And I think it's interesting because now we're getting, we we have had about a week with Brett Phillips post-trade deadline, and we're getting kind of an, an idea of how the Orioles intend to use Brett Phillips. And the Orioles are trying to be as multiple as possible, to use an NFL term. They're trying to platoon as many guys as they can where they see fit. And I see it similar to how the Tampa Bay Rays manipulate their lineup on a night-in, night-out basis. The Orioles have very deftly over the past week done a good job splitting up their lefties and righties in the lineup. Look at last night, for example. The lineup that Brandon Hyde put out was lambasted by all of Twitter. Everybody in their armchair GMs, armchair managers, decided that Ryan McKenna in the leadoff spot and Cedric Mullins in the 8-hole. What a disaster. What is Brandon Hyde doing? Guess what? They scored seven runs off the Blue Jays. They put a great number. I don't know how many they scored off Yusei Kikuchi. Five off Yusei Kikuchi. Ryan Mowcastle hit a home run. Last night, they went with a righty-heavy lineup. If you looked at the splits coming into that game last night, it would favor righties. That's why he put McKenna in the lineup. That's why he put Nevin in the lineup. That's why he kept Vavra and Odor on the bench. And he kept Brett Phillips on the bench. And it worked. So the Orioles are doing this platooning situation here, and it's working out so far.
1: You know what? I think eight of the nine hitters in the lineup last night were hitting right-handed because you had Adley Rutschman and Anthony Santander as switch hitters, both hitting righty. Yeah. And then Cedric Mullins, it was the first game in how many years that he hasn't been the leadoff hitter in this lineup? Since 2020. He, right. He hits eighth in this lineup and it worked out because you had the first seven guys in your lineup hitting right-handed, then Cedric Mullins and then Tyler Nevin to round things out. And it's just funny because... When a lot of these lineups have come out that have included a Brett Phillips or maybe a Rugnet Odor over Taron Vavra, I think a lot of people are pretty quick to jump on Brandon Hyde for these lineup decisions, which is incredibly curious, given where this team is, it feels
0: really hard to question the things that Brandon Hyde is doing. It's like he's not getting the benefit of the doubt. No, you and see he should the, be. You see the lineup and you automatically make a judgment about how that lineup is going to perform before you even see how the game plays out. And it's just understanding that there is probably a thought process in place. I'm not saying these guys are infallible. I'm not saying that Brandon Hyde and Michael Elias don't make mistakes, but there is a method to the madness here. Look at what they did on Saturday in that game in front of 41,000 where they had Ryan McKenna come in as the pinch hitter early in the early. fifth inning and deliver a huge RBI double that changed the momentum of that game. I mean, that's what they are doing it's not like they're saving their pinch hitters for late in the game, 6th, 7th, 8th, ninth inning. As soon as the starting pitcher gets taken out and there's a change on the mound lefty to righty or righty to lefty, they then counter it. It's a chess match that the Orioles now have the depth. They have not in previous years, in Brandon Hyde's last few years, they haven't had nearly enough depth to be able to do this. The only lefty-righty platoons they had in the outfield were if you want to take Austin Hayes out when facing a righty, you better be okay with DJ Stewart starting in that game or coming into that game. That's not as good as a Brett Phillips, who's a quality defensive outfielder and is better that against lefties or against righties than he is against lefties. So it right. it is a legitimate depth move that the Orioles are making
1: here. Yeah, it's a twenty-six-man roster and they're using all 26. Yeah. I mean, the move it seems pretty clear at this point that the Brett Phillips move is was as a pseudo platoon with Ryan McKenna. Yeah. I-, I would imagine that when they're facing left handers, we will continue to see Ryan McKenna. When they're facing right handers, we will probably continue to see Brett Phillips. They give you a lot of similar things, and I would tend to give the edge to Ryan McKenna because he's younger and the bat has been a little bit better overall. But Ryan McKenna has better splits against left-handers. Brett Phillips has better splits against right-handers. And they give you very similar things defensively on the base path,
0: speed-wise. It makes a lot of sense. We said it felt redundant with McKenna. And it kind of is. It kind of is. But the biggest difference, one's a righty, one's a lefty. Right. So that's... The only difference that Brandon Hyde needed, apparently. And Michael Elias said after the trade he didn't think it was fair to paint Brett Phillips as a bench piece, more as a platoon piece, and that's clearly what they're doing here. All right, Brendan, let's get into the farm. Some interesting cuts were made yesterday across the Orioles' farm system as they pared down some of their talent. J.D. Mundy was released from the Orioles organization. That was a bummer. A guy that they once had hopes for as an undrafted free agent in 2020. First baseman was struggling a little bit with Bowie, so he's gone from the organization. Ryland Bannon was placed on waivers and claimed by the Dodgers. Yeah, when was he on waivers? We don't know. They they tried to sneak it through. One of those. Sometimes they announce the guys that are added to the waiver wire and are dropped from the forty man. Sometimes they don't, and they yeah. did not with Ryland Bannon. We didn't know about this until he was claimed by the Dodgers yesterday, the team from whom he was traded back in twenty eighteen. Yeah, they tried to keep it extremely. Hush, hush. When he was claimed by the Dodgers yesterday, like you said,
1: Paul, we didn't even know that he was on waivers. So clearly the Orioles just trying to sneak Rylan Bannon through. Obviously goes back to the organization that the Orioles got him from in the L.A. Dodgers. But look, Rylan Bannon needed to impress at the AAA level to be getting a consistent opportunity in Baltimore. We saw him a little bit. Looked promising in that first series in St. Louis, but he's only hitting... He's only got a 750 OPS in AAA right now, and he's 26 years old, and he has been leapfrogged by Taron Vavra, who is already at the Major League level playing second base, which is one of the positions that Ryland Bannon can play, and he has been seemingly leapfrogged by Jordan Westberg and Gunnar Henderson as well, who would probably get the call up to the majors at this point before Rylan Bannon would because they would probably be more helpful at this point so Bannon at 26 years old just never really showed enough to get a long term stay in the majors and
0: frankly didn't really earn one over some of the guys that we've seen here yeah Bannon a year older than Vavra and pretty critically was not acquired by this front office was acquired by Dan Duquette's front office and Near, didn't put up nearly the same statistics that Taren Vavra did at the AAA and AA levels. I mean, he was really struggling at AAA last year. wasn't until the very end of the year that he started to turn things on. Remember, he finished with uh, average below the Mendoza line, pretty far below, 168, I believe, despite the fact that he went on a homer streak in September. And we really got a very limited sample size from him up at the big leagues, was called up twice, but only played in – Got only got – 15 plate appearances in four games and was hitting 229 as he mentioned in AAA Norfolk so unfortunately it's time now where the roster crunches are becoming more key and becoming more common because the Orioles keep adding talent to their system and the guys who are in their system are performing so well that at some point you have to cut bait with some of these guys right and unfortunate that Bannon didn't get more of an opportunity but that
1: being said With his numbers in AAA, it's not like he was really banging down the door for that opportunity. And we mentioned Taron Vavra is the one name I kind of keep going back to. Vavra is younger, yes, but was playing better at AAA and has played better in the majors in a very small sample size. So you're just going to continue to give Taron Vavra those opportunities instead of Ryland Bannon, and that's just kind of what it comes down
0: to sometimes. Yeah, so the Orioles open up a 40-man roster spot. Which is still unfilled as of right now. It is Tuesday. We don't know if that roster spot is going to be filled. I think the immediate reaction from a lot of Orioles fans were, is this Kyle Stowers time? Right. Is this Gunnar Henderson time? Both guys who are not on their 40-man roster, they would have to have their contracts picked up from AAA. I think it's interesting that they have that open spot right now. Perhaps they're going to fill it with one of those two guys, but I thought maybe if they were going to fill it with a Kyle Stamper we would have heard about it yesterday. But who knows? Maybe by the time you're listening to this, they will have filled that roster spot. Yeah, it's interesting that there's not
1: like a, a roster move happening in conjunction with right. Rylan Bannon being claimed. I think the fact that he was claimed by the Dodgers was a surprise, but he would have been off the 40-man roster regardless. Yes. So even if the claim was a surprise, you still had that open spot. And the fact that we haven't seen who that open spot is going to yet is curious because maybe they just want the flexibility of calling somebody up if they need to. Maybe they want an open roster spot in case they want to make a waiver claim, or maybe they're just still deciding who they're going to call up, whether it's Kyle Stowers or somebody else that they would have to add to the 40-man roster. DL Hall is already on that 40-man roster, so that wouldn't make a difference there. So it would have to be a Stowers or a Gunnar Henderson or somebody else that they're maybe just
0: deciding between right now. Or like you said, a waiver claim. And usually teams don't have open spots on their 40-man roster unless it's the offseason. Usually they're adding somebody and dropping somebody at the same time.
1: Yeah, and if you're making a
0: waiver claim, I don't think you would need to have an open roster spot
1: just to make the waiver claim. you would say you're claiming an infielder, you would probably
0: just DFA another infielder like a, a corresponding yeah. move. Yeah, exactly. You decide who you're adding before you decide who you're dropping. Right. So I think that one was curious. Um, but I will say for Ryland Bannon, if you know that is truly it for him in the Orioles organization, and if he never gets back up to the big leagues with the Dodgers or with another club, I'm at least glad that he got to debut with the Orioles after that Manny Machado trade. I know that was much maligned by Orioles fans. So for him to at least get an opportunity, for some guys that's all they have is a cup of coffee, in the big league, so I'm glad that he at least got that one chance. Yeah, Rylan Bannon, super nice guy, got a chance to talk to him in his second
1: series, did a little sit-down with him, was clearly very grateful for the opportunity and wishing him the
0: best with the Dodgers. Kyle Stowers, when is his time? It's a big question. <laughs> that, is, that was a smooth transition in Thank you, Kyle Stowers. I don't know, I mean,
1: the Orioles have an open 40-man roster spot yep. right now, and we're going to get into the Neto door talk I think in a little bit, because Root Neto Dor has been really the topic of conversation for Orioles fans lately, and it would seem that with Kyle Stowers playing as well as he is playing in A right now, he's putting up outstanding numbers, has an OPS close to 900. Yep. 267 average, 18 homers. It would seem that a logical solution would be to put Kyle Stowers in right field, D.H. Anthony Santander and put Taron Vavra at second base with Ruknet Odor either a DFA candidate or maybe a platoon bat if you want to give Ramona Rios an off day against a right-hander. You could start Ruknet Dor at third, or you could move things around there. But essentially, moving Ruknet Odor to the bench. That seems to be a pretty logical solution to me. In terms of when he actually gets called up, I don't know. But he seems to have
0: proven all that he needs to prove at AAA. And I think kind of arranging the lineup like that makes sense. Mike Elias said on the and broadcast over the weekend that he and Brandon Hyde sat down with Ruge and had a conversation about Ruge potentially moving to third and getting some more starts at third. And that Elias said that he was open to it. He was comfortable with it. And that was something that before the season we talked about was Odor potentially filling in some games at third, and then during spring training, he said he was not comfortable at third base when he had to play that for the Yankees last year. So the Orioles just didn't use him at third, and they used him exclusively at second. Now they're starting to use him at third, and I think that's a clear indication that this is sort of his last chance. But you're doing that with the expectation that you're giving him at least a couple weeks to prove himself over those uh, in that last chance. Right. Don't you think they wouldn't sit down with him, have this big conversation with him and then cut him two days later? No, I, I agree. I think if you are making the decision to
1: try him at third, you're going to give him a little while to see what he can do at third.
0: Yeah. It's like the Rio Ruiz decision to play him at second. Right. You and had tw- to give it a 20, little bit of time. And they took, gave him like a month and a half. But that still doesn't really justify in my mind
1: starting him. Right. I think if you're going to move him to third and try to get him some time there, then maybe that decision comes down to, okay, do we want to keep him on the team as a bench piece, as somebody that we can platoon at second or third base, maybe platoon with Marone Arias, like I mentioned, if he needs an off day. But at this point, you would just probably rather start Taron Vavra at second base. I think that's what most Orioles fans would like. And I know the Orioles fans are not making the decisions on the lineup, but if Taryn Vavra is at least a serviceable defender at second base, that's probably better than Rugnet Odor right now who has negative defensive metrics across the board. And Vavra is just a non-base machine through the first 10
0: or so games of his career. I mean, Brandon Hyde, after yesterday's game, did say he's one of the better double play second basemen Rugnet Odor about. is, that he's seen. Despite the fact that he's got negative five defensive runs saved according to Fangraphs. And I will say... He does turn a very smooth double play. He does, but how Odour much does. of
1: that is just the absurd plays that Jorge Mateo is making on the other side of second base? Yeah, but I give some
0: credit to Odor. N- yes, but I, the, I pro- the problem is Odor struggles with consistency. Sometimes he makes those incredibly flashy plays, I think, like the double play that ended last night's game. But yeah, I mean, he he struggles with consistency, and that's why you see the negative defensive metrics. But it's clear... That tells us what the Orioles think about his defensive value, that maybe he's undervalued slightly defensively. He could be undervalued slightly defensively. But
1: again, all of the defensive (laughs) metrics are in the negatives right now. And I know he is still providing the Orioles with some value. He gives very good energy. By all accounts, he is great in the clubhouse. He is one of the veteran leaders on this team, which maybe justifies keeping him around as a bench piece, as a Brett Phillips-esque
0: Bench player who is good in the clubhouse, but it doesn't really justify starting him. My thing is, we talked about redundancy with Ryan McKenna and Brett Phillips, but at least you have the left right switch. Talk about redundancy with Taryn Vavra and Rugneto Dor. But at they're least, both lefties. At least he is a left hander to Ramon Arias's right hand bat at third. So then he has to be able to play third. Right. To switch off because Nevin is also a righty. But I think so that's also... you have a also, and Nevin who are two righties. That's
1: also probably... The point that we just made is probably also what Mike Elias and Brandon Hyde are thinking. Right. Which is that, okay, Taron Vavra does the same things probably better yeah. at this point. So if you aren't giving us something unique, which in this case would be a left-handed hitting third baseman, then... You're just kind of a
0: redundancy that doesn't need to be on the right. And do they need three third third basemen? I know Nevin can play first, and Nevin naturally slots in after the trade of Trey Mancini into your backup first baseman role. But do you need Nevin and Urias and Odor who can all play third? I know some of the, they have secondary positions. It's not like they're all strictly third basemen. Nevin can also play a corner outfield. Urias can play second. You probably don't need with McKenna and Brett Phillips. Right. Urias can play second or short if he needs to. So I get that, but again, it just feels like too many pieces right now. Yes. And the logical person to push out in this instance would be Rugnet Odor. The thing for Kyle Stowers, to get back to that, is it's rare that we see the Orioles bring up an outfielder and get rid of an infielder, or bring up an infielder and get rid of an outfielder, or bring up a position player and get rid of a pitcher. Usually they try to do it within position groups. They tend to stick with the same number at each position group, so, for me, that person, if they're going to bring up an infielder and push out an infielder, would be Gunnar Henderson. But yeah. for Kyle Stowers, I mean, that the, the move to me was Brett Phillips. That is the spot that I thought Kyle Stowers would inhabit because yeah. he's a lefty, he's a power-hitting corner outfielder who has enough speed to play center. No, he's not as fast as Brett Phillips, but to me... If they were going to call up Kyle Stowers, they would not have traded for Brett Phillips. Yeah, I mean, Brett Phillips is better defensively. Yeah, but that's But he's hitting 148.
1: Yeah, and if you're going to call up Kyle Stowers, what is Brett Phillips doing there at that point? Because and, if you need yeah. a left-handed hitting outfielder to platoon with Ryan McKenna,
0: you would rather platoon Kyle Stowers than Brett Phillips, I would think. Yeah, and Stowers is 86-game sample size at AAA Norfolk. 86 games. That's more than Adley ever played at, at AAA. I know Adley's a much higher regarded prospect but you have a good sample size it's not like he's just got a 900 ops in 40 games he's hitting the ball well and he has been hitting the ball well all season so i don't quite know what what they're waiting to see from Mikhail Stowers well, as to what the next move is and also let's not forget that
1: he had 22 games at AAA Norfolk last season yeah so he has 86 he's over this 100 year. i mean i think Kyle Stowers would have been the natural
0: move, like you said, if it weren't for the Brett Phillips move. And again, the fact that the Orioles traded for Brett Phillips and they gave cash, and again, don't know how much cash. Could have been five bucks for all we know. But they did send cash the other way. They didn't just pick him up off waivers. So they clearly went out and sought him and had to make an offer that beat other teams' offers. It's confusing. Yeah. And my thoughts on this podcast
1: feel slightly jumbled because... I don't have great justifications for Ruknet Dor and Brett Phillips being everyday parts of this team or close to everyday parts of this team when you have a Kyle Stowers waiting in the wings, a Gunnar Henderson who has certainly played well enough to justify a call-up if it's not too early on in his development in the eyes of Michael Elias, yeah. when you have a Taron Vavra that still isn't playing every single day it's hard to justify some of these veterans still getting the playing time outside of the fact that they are veterans and they help the younger players on this team. And if you get rid of a Neto Odor and a Brett Phillips, who is left as the veteran presence in this clubhouse outside of Robinson Chirinos?
0: Jordan Lyles. Jordan Lyles. Yeah. There's not many veteran guys left. I'm glad you brought up Barbara. Because I think that's a good example of somebody who comes up, a rookie who comes up and makes an immediate impact. Again, they're few and far between. I think what the Orioles are doing with Vavra is smart, and it's something that they probably haven't had the luxury of doing, which is easing him in slowly. With previous teams, if they call up a rookie, unfortunately, most times they have to throw them right in there and start them a lot because they're better than the current options that they have in-house. The fact that they have the ability to ease Vavra in slowly, I think, helps him slightly because sometimes he's, you know, playing left field, sometimes he's playing second base, sometimes he's DHing. They're not asking him to play every day at second base at the big league level and get three, four at bats a game, which I think can help in an instance where you're coming up in the middle of a team that is in the middle of a wild card race. And there's a lot of pressure naturally with any player who's coming up and making his big league debut. So I think that they're doing the right thing by slowly easing Taron Vavra into the ac- into the action.
1: But that being said, how much more value could he potentially give you if you're just playing him every day? Maybe easing him into things is working and that's why we're seeing the numbers from Taron Vavra that we're seeing right now. But maybe playing him every day, we would just be seeing even better numbers. So it- it's hard to tell... What easing him in is really benefiting him here? Because maybe if he's just playing all the time,
0: then we just see the better numbers all the time. But maybe it's benefiting the team as well. I mean, like like yeah. last night, when they're facing a lefty, you know, they would probably rather have a righty in the lineup. Right. Just naturally. So it's good for him and the team, I think, in some instances. Uh, but it is an example of somebody who is coming up and making an impact. He's four years older than Gunnar Henderson. But the Gunnar Henderson comparison is a natural one because fans are seeing what Gunnar Henderson is doing now the number one prospect according to Baseball America in the country could he come up and make an immediate impact on this team over the last couple months
1: yeah and I think as we kind of mentioned before it's important to remember that Adley Rutschman struggled for a while not for a while Adley Rutschman struggled for about the first few weeks of his big league career But now, as the Orioles continue to make a little bit of a playoff push, just one game out of the AL wildcard spot, it's really easy to look at Gunnar Henderson and say, he could be impacting the team in a major way, just as Adley Rutschman and Taron Vavra are currently. Because Adley Rutschman right now, you could make a case, is the best hitter in this lineup day in and day out, given how he has played over recent weeks, and Taron Vavra has been on fire. And so if Gunnar Henderson is lighting up AAA in the way that he is currently lighting
0: it up, then why can't he come up and do the same thing? He's 21. Yep. He's a lot younger than some of those guys. And he is barely 21. Yeah, barely. Just turned 21 a couple weeks ago. Vavra's 25. Kyle Stowers is 24. Adley Rutschman is 23, 24. So these guys have much more experience. And, uh, you know, I, I get... That argument from the Orioles' side that you definitely want to make sure that he's ready maturity-wise. He's ready to handle the struggles that will come when he eventually comes up. But you just can't argue with the numbers that Gunnar Henderson is putting up right now. It, it He got gets to AAA and has arguably been better than he was at AA. Putting up unbelievable numbers. 946 OPS in 46 games. He's hitting 297 with nine homers. Yeah. He is ready for at least the next step and that he's taken triple a by storm and he has improved in a lot of the ways i
1: mentioned it when he went up to triple a norfolk in terms of a potential gunner henderson promotion this year or early even early next year and what i said was that he needs to improve against left-handed pitching he is hitting left-handers better than he was hitting left handers in double a so he has improved that split drastically at triple a Norfolk is now the number one prospect in all of baseball. According to baseball America, which is insane considering the Orioles just had the number one prospect in all of baseball in Adley Rutschman and have another top five prospect in all of baseball in Grayson Rodriguez. So it's kind of just getting difficult to find reasons that Gunnar Henderson shouldn't be in the big leagues right now. Other than the fact that he is just barely 21 years old But the obvious comparison that a lot of Orioles fans have been making is that if you rewind 10 years, they called up a 19-year-old Manny Machado to try to make a playoff push in 2012. And again, you're not going to call up Gunnar Henderson because you want to make a playoff push. But I can see an argument that says, we want to get Gunnar Henderson's feet wet right now for the last few weeks of the big league season so that he is ready to take a commanding stronghold on either the shortstop position or the third base position wherever you want to put him for opening day next year. You that, want Gunnar Henderson to be ready to go.
0: That was a different regime, I will say. Yes. that that called up Manny Machano, and we have yet to see what Michael Elias favors in terms of calling guys up for playoff runs. We have no idea yet. But what we have seen is Michael Elias likes to call guys up for playoff runs in the minors. Adley Rutschman, if you recall, got called up to Del Marva for their playoff run back in 2019. It was the very end of the season and you know it was only a couple games for their playoff run. I think they only had two or three playoff games, but he wanted to give him that experience. The playoffs in the big leagues is a whole lot different than the playoffs in the minors, but we have a little bit of a track record for that as well. For Gunner, the question is, I think if you want him to be a successful player, In 2023, do you find it necessary that he gets, you know, 30 games, 40 games in the big leagues in 2022? Or do you just want to call him up on opening day 2023, have him break camp with the team, and give him an everyday spot at shortstop or third base? I will say
1: that I don't think it's necessary to call Gunnar Henderson up this year. Because the playoff push this year, while it is exciting... Gunnar Henderson might come up at the end of this season and really struggle. Just as we saw Adley Rutschman struggle for the first few weeks of his career. Adley Rutschman was older. He was more established. And he still struggled against big league pitching, which is to be expected. So it is entirely possible that the O's could call up Henderson for the last few weeks of this season. And he wouldn't really help them in a playoff push. And I also don't really think that it is necessary for his success next season to get him 30 games or whatever it might be at the end of this year. That being said, it still could be beneficial for him to see big league pitching. We saw, when we talked to Gunnar Henderson about a year ago when he was called up to Double A Bowie, he talked about some of his struggles jumping from level to level and how those struggles really helped him in his development because he learned how to deal with the failure. He learned how to get back to basics and just play his game and kind of get out of his own way a little bit. So maybe coming up to the big leagues and struggling a little bit at the end of this year would just be all that more beneficial for next season when he is expected to be an everyday producer.
0: Yeah. And I think the Orioles liked the idea of giving a guy a full off season to look back at the tape he had at the higher level where he struggled. I mean, look at what they did with him last year. He played 65 games in high-A Aberdeen. That's where he had the majority of his struggles, figured it out by the end of his tenure there, then played 52 games at double-A Bowie, really only played a handful of games in Bowie at the end of September in 2021 before he was stuck in the offseason just looking at his tape and reviewing things and going to swing doctors and everything and trying to you know, hit wiffle balls in the backyard like we were saying, like hitting those foam balls to get to the higher pitches in the zone like he did this past offseason. So they like the idea, I think, of giving a guy a full offseason after which he just played a short sample size at a higher level. So that's what they could be doing at the big league level where they call him up in September and then give him a full offseason as a big leaguer so that he's not just looking back at his AAA numbers saying, yeah, I crushed it. What do I have to change? I think whether or not they call him up in late August, early
1: September, whatever it might be, I would anticipate this offseason Mike Elias going to Gunnar Henderson and Grayson Rodriguez and saying, okay, the expectation is that you are on the Orioles opening day roster next year and that is how you will approach the offseason. I think that's my assumption for this offseason because Gunnar Henderson and Grayson Rodriguez don't really have anything else to prove in Norfolk. So I think the expectation for the offseason, much as it was for Adley Rutschman this offseason, before the injury and before he had to go back to the minors to rehab, I think the expectation should be if Gunnar Henderson and Grayson Rodriguez are clearly ready for the big leagues and proved enough at AAA Norfolk, then they should be on the opening day roster for next year.
0: Yeah, I just think the, obviously the biggest difference there is with Grayson's injury. he's probably may not pitch the rest of the season, and if he does, he should only pitch at the lower levels he'll probably be worked his way up back similarly to how we saw Adley worked his way back up after injury so I imagine he'll probably start at the lower levels get a start at Aberdeen maybe get a start at Bowie before he gets even back up to Norfolk so he's definitely not going to debut with the team this year whereas Gunnar Henderson he's got 46 games under his belt in Norfolk and if he keeps going like this he's going to be up over 60 games in a couple weeks and you're saying he's fully healthy. He's ready to go. Why aren't we calling him up? Right. So that's that, to me, is the biggest difference. I don't think he's going to get called up, if I had to guess. I don't think he's going to get called up uh, next homestand. But I still do think sometime in September he is going to receive a call up to the bigs. If I just had to guess. What do you think? Do you think they wait till 2023? I think they wait. I don't think Gunnar Henderson... I, I,
1: sorry to rain on the parade. I, I don't wow. think Gunnar Henderson gets called up this year. I hope I'm wrong. Yeah. I just think that the plan, at least my assumption, is that the Orioles will wait until this offseason. They'll say, you are talented enough to be on the opening day roster for 2023. And that is the plan with Gunnar Henderson. Not that this makes a huge difference. The Orioles also are incentivized to call up top prospects at the beginning of the year and put them on their opening day roster. The Mariners, we saw them do that with Julio Rodriguez it's a move by Major League Baseball to try to just add some excitement and and service time manipulation. So teams now are incentivized to call players up at the beginning of the year. They get a draft pick incentive. So maybe the Orioles are looking at that as well and just thinking that it lines up well with Gunnar Henderson's timeline. I
0: think that f- they can do that same thing with Grayson Rodriguez next year. They could. I mean, if he makes the opening day roster, he could fill you know, finish in the top three for rookie of the year. And they could get the same kind of draft pick compensation. You never know. Or they could yeah. just try it with both those guys. One guy who's raking on the farm right now, who we will definitely not see, I think it's safe to say, in Baltimore in 2022, Colton Cowser, Older than Gunnar Henderson, but who isn't? We all are. He's 22 years old, and he's somebody who's definitely hitting better at the higher level than he was at the lower level. That happens so rarely but it's happening with Colton Kowser. And frankly, we expected it to happen because we knew his bat to ball skills were elite. And right now, in double A buoy, he's hitting 355 with eight homers and a 1.122 OPS in 30 games. Again, 30 games. But he seems to be clicking at, in every facet of the game right now. Continues to play center field, is turning into the hitter that we thought he was. And the fact that the power is ticked up, eight homers in 30 games is a very exciting development considering he was not hitting for a whole lot of power. Even when he was hitting in May in high A Aberdeen, he was struggling power-wise, not the case in Bowie. Yeah, has eight homers
1: through 30 games, like you mentioned, only had four homers through 60 games right, in single A. So it almost seems like Colton Cowser is just playing up to the level of competition. OPS over 1.1. I think he probably gets the call to Triple A Norfolk sooner rather than later. I don't think that Couser is showing you anything at AA Bowie right now that suggests that he needs more tuning there or that the pitching there is giving him many issues. So I think Couser, because he was a well-established college bat, we have gotten a decent track record already of what he can do over the season plus that he has gotten so far in the Orioles organization. So I think Couser getting the call up to AAA Norfolk at the end of this year would make sense, and then maybe next season he's AAA for the beginning of the year, and we see maybe a middle-of-the-year call-up to Baltimore.
0: Yeah, the only things he needs, I think, is more games. It's very rare yeah. that the Orioles have given somebody 30 games, a top prospect, at any one level before they call him up. Usually they give him at least 50 at any one level, like we saw with Gunnar, 52 games at A Bowie before they called him up. But I again, I do think he is going to be on Norfolk's roster, if assuming he stays healthy, by the end of this season because yeah. he's he's just even if he drops off slightly from this and he's hitting 325 instead of 355 you're calling him up to the tides yeah
1: a fast riser from next year that you last year excuse me that you could make a comparison to is Kyle Stowers who spent 35 games in Aberdeen and then 65 games in Bowie and then finished the year with 22 games at AAA Norfolk I could see that getting flipped slightly with Colton Cowser getting about 60 games at Aberdeen. Yeah. Maybe he gets
0: 40, 45 games at AA Bowie and then around 20 at AAA Norfolk. The one call up from Bowie to Norfolk that I am impatiently waiting for is Hudson Haskin, who we said back in, what, late May, early June, that we thought Hudson Haskin might be ready for AAA Norfolk. Right now he's hitting 273 with 11 homers and an 855 OPS and 78 games in Bowie. This is a former second-round pick in 2020. I don't quite know what they're waiting for with Hudson Haskin, and it would be kind of weird if Colton Cowser jumped Hudson Haskin and got to Norfolk before him. Look, I get the Orioles clearly don't have as high expectations for Hudson Haskin, nor should they. He's around the 15th best prospect in the system, not a top-five prospect in the system and a top-100 prospect, but you would think that they would call up Hudson Haskin before they call up Colton Cowser. Yeah, Haskin just needs a little bit more consistency.
1: Has been pretty streaky this yeah. year, but we're seeing a AAA Norfolk. The Orioles are clearing some space for guys in the lineup. Dylan Harris was a AAA Norfolk outfielder who was solid at A Bowie this year, but is a little older and really struggled in A. He was just released. Maybe they are clearing some space for some
0: potential call-ups in the outfield. They could be. And I would see Hudson Haskin, maybe his 78 games, would get him to Norfolk sooner than Colton Cowser, but I think both those guys are deserving of call-ups soon. I agree. Um, one other guy that I want to mention in A Bowie, Brendan, and that's Joey Ortiz, the often forgotten about, unfortunately, 23-year-old who, look, defense is going to be his calling card, and it's difficult for us who are not watching Bowie's games every single day and not down in Bowie every single day to evaluate how his defense has been. But from what we've heard, his defense remains... Very solid at shortstop, at second base, at third base. And now he's starting to hit to back up that great defense. He's hitting .462 with seven homers and a 1.387 OPS in his last 20 games. He's on a 15-game hitting streak. That's raised his overall numbers to two sixty nine with 11 homers and a .771 OPS in 93 games at Bowie. And Brendan, he struggled the, definitely out of the gate this year. But now he's starting to click, and we're getting an extended sample size, and it's good to see that somebody who struggled with injuries last year is starting to turn things around. Yeah, if Joey Ortiz can hit, that's a really exciting
1: player. Yeah. I'm not comparing him to Jorge Mateo, because Mateo is a lot faster and probably even better defensively. But it's the same kind of thing where if Jorge Mateo is even giving you decent production offensively, then that's a really valuable player. And Joey Ortiz, given how good his defense is at shortstop, I mean, he is smooth. I mean, his footwork, his glove work, he is incredibly smooth at shortstop from what we have seen. Strong arm. So if he is giving you decent value offensively, that's a really valuable player. And somebody who could potentially carve out a role at a big league level— even if it's just as, you know, kind of a defensive replacement who is not hitting the ball great, but is a, still a decent hitter. That kind of player seemingly always has a role, especially at a position like shortstop. So just, you know, call him up to Norfolk when you call up Gunnar Henderson.
0: Easy. Exactly. And I think it's especially critical because of some of the other talent that has surpassed Joey Ortiz in a lot of ways, partly not due to Ortiz's fault because he had the injury and he's seen some of his fellow 2019 draftees move past him through the organization while he's been sitting on the bench. But when there's competition that pushes guys out like we like you said, you saw Dylan Harris pushed out of the organization, you saw um, you know Dylan or uh, JD Mundy rather leave the organization. So it's important for these guys to continue to produce because they will get passed over. Pretty quickly, despite how high you're drafted. At some point, if you're not producing, you will have to be booted from the organization. Yeah, absolutely. I do want to mention
1: another shortstop that we're getting some comments about, who is uh, Jordan Westberg. Yeah. And he was scorching once he first got called up to AAA Norfolk. We both thought that, you know, if obviously if he continued on that pace, then that would be a pretty quick call-up to the majors because Jordan Westberg was an older, again, established college bat who had been consistently pretty good throughout the minor leagues. Maybe he would get the call up to play a second base or a third base at the major league level. But since July 1st, he is hitting under 200, has an OPS just around 550, which is not very good. So need to see some more consistency out of Jordan Westberg before he gets a call to the big leagues. He could be another one who is maybe eyeing an opening day roster spot In 2023, because he certainly has the talent, he has the pedigree as a top prospect, was selected 30th overall just a few seasons ago. So I think Jordan Westberg is probably more likely somebody that you're looking at for the opening day roster of 2023, unless he goes on a tear in AAA Norfolk over the next few weeks to juice those numbers a little bit. You just need to see more consistency out of him.
0: I think it's safe to say at this point, I hate to be a prisoner of the moment, but Gunnar Henderson is, if one guy is going to get called up before the other, Gunnar is going to get called up before Westberg,
1: Which is kind of crazy to say, given the age gap between the two of them and given kind of the scouting report that Jordan Westberg was just going to be consistently good at a lot of things rather right. than excellent in one category. Gunnar Henderson is just excellent in all of the categories he really right is now. right now and has pretty much surpassed Jordan Westburg, like you said, in terms of a potential call-up. I think Westburg certainly still has a future role on this Orioles team at the big league level. Just need to see some more consistency at AAA.
0: Yeah, you have to be clicking on all cylinders in order to be the number one prospect in baseball. You like do. Henderson is One more guy I want to mention before we get out of here. Daryl Hernays, 21 years old, with high A Aberdeen, Another 2019 draft pick. He was a fifth-round pick back then, hitting three sixteen with an eight fifty three OPS in 43 games at High A. Aberdeen. Yeah, it was a
1: high school pick that you kind of forget about for a while yeah. because he was a high schooler that started in lower levels and just took him a little bit to get going, to not hit the ground running like Gunnar Henderson did. But Hernes, still an exciting young prospect, and given his age it's really intriguing how he is performing at this point. So kind of a forgotten shortstop prospect that we should
0: probably be talking more about. His split time pretty evenly between shortstop, second base, and third base so far this season. And like you said, you've seen Gunnar Henderson hit on his ceiling as a high school draft pick from 2019. And while it has taken Hernese a little bit more time, there's still the potential that he could hit his very high ceiling as well as a high school, high school draft pick. Uh, coming out back in 2019. Yeah, All right. And, and when Michael Elias was talking about this draft and talking about high schoolers, he
1: mentioned Hernays as mm-hmm. somebody that, yeah, when the high schooler is there and we think it's the right guy, we're not afraid to draft them. And yeah. so I think the fact that Michael Elias specifically mentioned Hernays when he mentioned high school guys that they thought were the
0: right fit, I think that's also promising. And uh, he's 29 in the Orioles' top 30 prospect list. Might be bumped out, unfortunately depending on where Jackson Holiday and Dylan Beavers get slotted into the Oriole system, or he could get a bump up. Remember, they reevaluate just about everybody when they do these midseason re-rankings. So maybe they'll say he deserves to stay in here despite the additions. Yeah, I could see a, a little combination of both. I could see him
1: staying around the same range while other guys who were maybe a little bit ahead of him get bumped out. Because I think Hernandez has played well enough to stay in that top 30 and maybe get... A boost in his ranking, even though there are other guys coming in that may be ahead of him. Even a Judd Fabian might be ahead of him as well.
0: True. All right, that just about does it for our podcast. Any any final thoughts, Brendan? I don't think so. We 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 covered about a lot of prospects. We did we kind of jumbled podcast, but we got everything in there because all the the pieces have to fit together, and uh, we'll see exactly how they fit those pieces together over the next coming weeks. Yeah, like you mentioned, my thoughts on it are kind of jumbled
1: because when you start. Talking about a Kyle Stowers, well, then that affects Root and Odor. And when you start talking about Odor, then it's Gunnar Henderson. Then it's this and it's that. Right. And it's just, it's naturally
0: a little bit all over the place. Yeah. We'll see. Maybe you're listening to this and you already know who filled that 40-man roster spot. You never know. Listen to it on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Also, join us live. Every week as we take your comments on Facebook and on YouTube, thanks so much to everybody who tuned in live. Thanks to Tim Leonard for producing this podcast. At Brendan Morty is Brendan's Twitter handle. I am at Paul Mancano. We will catch you next time.